Hey, welcome to the 1505 Club. This past week, we had a day where we had several students in the office with us. Three of those students were getting their first introduction to Gonstead. One of the students asked the question, do you think there will ever be one singular unifying philosophy of chiropractic? It's a good question. I probably didn't think about it as much as I should have before I answered and said, there used to be one, and then the ACA hijacked the CCE and created a divide that cannot be bridged the way things are. I didn't get to elaborate on my answer because I had to go see another patient. The more I thought about it, the more I realized that there's a lot of information here that does affect how we practice and what we tell our patients about what we do. So I think it's time that we talk about the problem that's been hidden in plain sight. I've mentioned before that the late Joseph Keating was my history professor. His best book, by far, in my opinion, is B.J. of Davenport. As you look through the eyes of B.J. Palmer, you begin to understand how he saved the profession on several different occasions, simply because he had tremendous clarity on what chiropractic is and what it is not. If we go back even further to his father, D.D. Palmer's 1910 text, we find that almost as soon as D.D. began teaching chiropractic, he had to deal with competing philosophies. This is what led him to famously write in his 1910 text that they portray themselves as more than they are and chiropractic as less than it is. No sooner did chiropractic come into existence and people were already trying to change it. In many cases, they were trying to fit it into a medical paradigm. Focus on giving a medical diagnosis, treat the symptoms, chiropractic is just another modality, and manage with active care. To this day, that's an approach taught by many chiropractic schools. I don't mean what I'm about to say as an insult but rather an explanation for how we got here. Most of the schools who teach this do so out of tradition, as in, my mentors who never actually saw any patients or helped anyone taught me to do it this way, so even though I've never seen any patients or helped anyone, I'm going to teach it to the next generation the same way that I learned it. It's way too often that I hear stories of students graduating and the very next semester they're teaching a class. Teaching what? They can't pull from experience so all they can teach is what they were taught, with no idea of whether or not it's even valid. I think most of us see this, and most of us recognize it's a problem. But since it isn't our problem, nothing gets done, and it just continues from generation to generation. So let me take you back in time and tell you a story. A lot of what I'm about to tell you is going to sound unbelievable. So I'm going to include some references that you can look up yourself. Also, the un unbelievableness of it is why I've held on to it for so long. Most people weren't ready to believe in conspiracies, but in the last few years, that attitude has changed for obvious reasons. No longer do we walk around assuming that those in charge have nothing but our best interest in mind. Poor character and power has always been a lethal combination. But there's a political principle that says the more power a position holds, the lower the character of those who will be drawn to it. Its inverse is that a political position with little power or no power will only draw people of high character. Our founding fathers knew this, and that's why they intentionally limited the power of the federal government to the extent that their first attempt failed because they limited it too much. We would be wise to remember these things when it comes to the politics of chiropractic. So let me take you back about five years or so. I found out that two of my students were accused of cheating. Having had these two in class and knowing the lengths they would go to to avoid accusation, for example, during tests, one would sit in the front and the other in the back, I knew they didn't cheat but I knew that they were accused because everyone knew that they led the Gonstead Club. To make it worse, I graduated with their instructor, 
who accused them. So let's just say I knew his character too. I wanted to help them, so I did a little cyber stalking, as my wife likes to call it, to see what I could dig up. It turns out the school had lost its accreditation at that time, but none of the students knew it. In fact, the school had made an effort to deny it and told the students it wasn't true. This is how I started down a rabbit hole that would consume hours and hours of my life. First, I went to the CCE website to find out the criteria for having accreditation reinstated. When I found out that the CCE answers to the U.S. Board of Education, I went to their website to see what I could learn. What I found were transcripts from the CCE meeting with the Board of Education in 2007. At the time, I poured over hundreds of pages of transcripts, but I wasn't smart enough to save the transcripts. I tried to find them again to give you a reference, but I can no longer find them on the internet. I can find the listing on Planet Cairo that says the WCA has made them available, and perhaps you could obtain them if you went through the WCA. Um, but the, and it was done through the Journal of Vertebral Subluxation Research's website. The Planet Cairo article still exists, and it states, quote, This past year witnessed an historic event when the Council on Chiropractic Education petitioned for renewal of recognition by the United States Department of Education. It was said that the USDE had never had so many people attend a hearing before. It also says the transcripts of the proceedings provide evidence of a deeply splintered, paranoid, untrusting, and incestuous profession. We reprint these transcripts and provide them at no charge in the hope that they will play a role in the development of a dialogue that the profession is in desperate need of having. I want to quote them on that because that's exactly what I found in reading through the transcripts. There were many legitimate claims brought against the CCE. Many of them were reminiscent of the original situation that drove me to begin this investigation in the first place. For example, the CCE assured the Board of Education that they never reinstate accreditation without listening to the students and allowing them to voice their complaints and, and concerns and instances of abuse or bullying if they exist. I can tell you that in the incident from five years ago, that absolutely did not happen. In fact, I can do one better. More recently, another student from the same school told me that the CCE was interviewing students from his school. He was selected to speak with the CCE. The school made it a point to tell him that he needed to give a glowing praise response to anything they asked. He told me that he wasn't planning to say anything negative, but he wasn't going to lie about them either. After he talked to them, he told me that he was actually more positive than he intended to be, but that didn't stop the school from sending him an email telling him that he wasn't positive enough. My question was, how does the school even know what you said? This lack of confidence and the process itself is plenty of reason to bring legitimate complaints to the Board of Education. So when they are brought, do you know how the CCE responds? According to the transcripts, their go-to move is to claim that these complaints and criticisms are fully motivated only by philosophical differences. For reasons I cannot explain, the Board of Education believes that excuse. So I began to wonder, why doesn't the CCE better represent the profession as a whole? Perhaps more importantly, why does the CCE push an education model that teaches everything but chiropractic, and they seem to have animosity toward chiropractic? I went looking to see if I could find the origin story of the CCE, and I did eventually find it. What happened was that the ICA and the ACA both went to the U.S. Board of Education seeking to create a board of accreditation for chiropractic. The Board of Education told them that they couldn't have two accreditation boards, so they would need to come together to create just one. They told them that once they came together, they could reapply together. 
To this day, I have no idea why the Board of Education made that ruling instead of allowing for two boards, but that's what they did. The ICA at that time represented the majority of chiropractors, probably about 80%, possibly even more. Being the bigger group, pun intended, they reached out to the ACA to say that they were willing to work with them and see what they could create together. The ACA then sent back word to the Board of Education that they were reapplying. This is how the ACA, who represented a minority of the profession at the time, took control, full control, of accreditation and fundamentally changed chiropractic from within. Later on, I found a video of Sid Williams on YouTube where he tells the exact same story. After learning about this, I was pretty stunned and I thought, I don't know if that's true, but it makes a whole lot of sense based on what I'm seeing. If you find this hard to believe, then let me give you another fact. Life University is not an ACA school, to say it lightly. As the largest single campus chiropractic school with more than 1,600 chiropractic students, it does not and has never had a representative on the CCE. How do you explain that? I'd be curious to know how the CCE would explain that. At this point in my investigation, I realized that politics is alive and well in the chiropractic profession, and not to our benefit. It was then that I made an interesting discovery. Have you ever heard of the West Hartford Group? Sounds like an insurance company, right? Well, it's not. They call themselves a think tank, but I call them a secret society because they will not disclose their membership, but they do claim that their members are university instructors, university presidents, chiropractic organization presidents. In a word, they are everywhere, but we don't know who they are. So what do they stand for? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to read directly from their website, and you're welcome to read along with me. You can find them at westhartfordgroup.org. Okay, so let's start right at the top of their website with the About Us section, and I will read exactly what it says. The West Hartford Group, INC, is neither a political organization nor service organization, but a think tank that's put forth a model of chiropractic care that is consistent with that of the World Federation of Chiropractic and the Chiropractic Strategic Planning Conference. This model is of the chiropractic physician as the spinal health care expert within the healthcare system, i.e. society's primary spine care physician. The WHG is a proactive and positive force moving in the direction of cultural, social, and professional authority to improve the profession's standing within the healthcare system and society. Okay, so let's drop down a little bit more. The history, our history. West Hartford Group was incorporated in 2006 after a group of concerned, progressive, reform-minded chiropractic physicians realized that reform was essential to advance the chiropractic profession in order to achieve social, professional, and cultural authority. Um, let's drop down a little bit more. Um, okay, our objectives. What we're about. One, to provide the profession with a viable model of integrative practice. Two, to foster inclusion of WHG members in the fabric of the profession to promote WHG's mission. Three, to create a public and professional image of chiropractic as a profession dedicated to scholarship, research, and the patient-centered evidence-based practice paradigm. Number four, to advance chiropractic education, undergraduate and graduate, and scholarship consistent with WHG's mission. Our values. One, chiropractors are healthcare professionals who provide non-surgical clinical management of spine and other musculoskeletal conditions. Two, chiropractic clinical management includes diagnosis and treatment with an emphasis on prevention, rehabilitation, wellness, and holism. Objective 
measurable treatment effectiveness must be demonstrated. Sorry, that was number three. Number four, a biopsychosocial approach is essential for the management of pain and dysfunction. So we're pain and dysfunction managers, um, not subluxation correctors, but I'll get to that in a second. Five, treatment must focus on active care that empowers the patient toward management of his or her own health care. Six, treatment goals must be functional and focused on return to normal activities of daily living and improved quality of life. Number seven, treatment must be based upon the best evidence available. And finally, our commitment. Number one, WHG believes it is important to the chiropractic profession to make proactive changes from within the system rather than allowing others to force reactive changes. And two, we're also firmly committed to chiropractors being paid a fair wage for our services without undue and or unfair influence from outside sources. Now, the thing they were saying without saying, but I know it's true because I've read it in other things that they've written, is that their way forward is to eliminate subluxation-based chiropractic. They think that subluxation-based chiropractic is holding up them from achieving their objectives. So without saying it, what they really mean is that, that they want to eliminate all forms of subluxation, Uh, They want to eliminate a lot of the tools like x-rays and things like that. And their goal is primarily to use chiropractic as a modality or use the adjustment or even better yet manipulation as a modality to then be part of the management system, which they will then use primarily active care. And you see this model playing out in many of the schools today because most likely there's a member of the West Hartford group somewhere in the upper echelon of that school who is driving that agenda and probably facing fairly weak resistance from anyone else who might be in there. I wanted to bring this information to your attention because we live in a bubble where we act like competing philosophies stand on their own merit and their very existence is validation of their legitimacy. But is that really true? When groups come together and conspire to attain high positions for the purpose of pushing an agenda, it's no longer about merit, but it's totally about political power and clout. In the last three years, the facade has been torn down, so people all over the world now recognize that this is true. But here we are with the very same thing happening in our own profession. Are you ready to hear that? I know I wasn't. We must recognize that there are forces inside chiropractic that are seeking every opportunity to change it, to fundamentally change it from what it always has been. We as individuals need to do more than just adjust our patients and earn a living. We need to preserve this profession and defend its principles against those who would change it for their own selfish purposes, as has been done since the very beginning of the profession. We need to teach the next generation, and there's always a next generation, but not only how to just do chiropractic, But we need to teach the next generation how to defend chiropractic because every generation will have enemies on the inside who want to make it something else for their own purposes or simply because they never learned what it really was in the first place. Sid Williams used to say that many of you are in chiropractic, but very few of you have chiropractic in you. Don't be complacent and don't make the mistake of always assuming that tomorrow will look just like today. This was a hard one for me to put together but I hope you found this information helpful to you. The CCE has to go before the Board of Education every four years. Maybe more of us need to go to those meetings. This isn't just a bash on their philosophy session. There are legitimate issues that need to be addressed by the only oversight the CCE has, and they shouldn't be allowed to hide behind philosophical differences to avoid facing these real issues. I would certainly encourage you to take what I've given you today and do your own research. I think you'll be shocked at what you'll find. 
Right now, I'm going to take a hard right turn and talk to you about something completely different. <laughs> I've been trying to figure out how I can take this podcast to the next level and offer additional help, especially for those outside the United States. What I've done this week is to open up the subscription portion of the podcast. What you get with the subscription to start with is the unedited video versions of our episodes. That means you'll be able to see how much I talk with my hands. In addition to that, I'm going to begin uploading technique videos to help with your setups and adjustments. I'm also going to begin giving you bonus material with our upcoming guests, and I'll put together some technique collaborations with other docs, and as much bonus material as I can dig up. The subscription is intended for anyone who's struggling and needs to take their learning to another level. I hope this can become a valuable resource for you if you need it. As always, I hope you have the very best week possible, and I'll see you again next time. Thank you.